Please remain standing as we turn to Judges chapter 13. Picking up in verse 1 uh, down to the end of the chapter. Judges 13 verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink. And eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, 
he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Pray with me. Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your word. We are mindful that many have met to worship you this day and have had to meet in secret or in fear. And we thank you that we can meet openly. We thank you that your word is so readily and easily accessible to us. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would open our ears, open our eyes, and change our hearts. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, sometimes, and um, we love these stories because as Americans, we love the the underdog prevailing. Uh, There are episodes in history where someone has a very unlikely beginning and then has a really great ending. And one of my favorite examples of that is Winston Churchill, who uh, grew up with a father who was emotionally aloof and distant and a mother who showed affection for him, but was not always faithful to her husband. In fact, the, uh, the, the parent figure that had the most impact on Churchill as a child was the family maid, Miss Everest, whom he absolutely adored. Uh, but in growing up, he would sometimes bring friends home and discover that his father would talk to his friend in precisely the same way he wouldn't talk to young Winston. And uh, that was something that, that always troubled him. At age seven, he was sent off to boarding school and was just, uh, uh, he, he recalls how heartbroken he was to be separated from his family as uh, essentially a first or a second grader being uh, sent away from his family to a boarding school. And uh, through various experiences that shaped his character and uh, shaped the directions in which he was heading, he would, as a man of late middle age, become the one who would effectively save the Western world uh, from Nazi tyranny as he was precisely the right man in the right place at the right time. So here you have a man with a very unpromising beginning and quite a memorable and and, uh, spectacular end. With Samson, we have the exact opposite. We have a very promising beginning and uh, a disastrous end. I don't think I'm throwing out too many plot spoilers. I think we're uh, a little familiar with the the story of of Samson. But... um, Where we pick up in this narrative of Judges, the tragic episode of Jephthah has come and gone. A feud between two tribes, uh, the Gileadites and the the Ephraimites, has left 42,000 dead. And so the, uh, the spiral continues, uh, not so much a cycle, but, but a spiral. And on each rotation, it seems to get worse and worse towards the end. And uh, we're still in the, uh, in, in an ironic way, the, the, the good old days of Judges. Uh, there's going to be periods coming up in Judges where people are going to long for, for these days as not being so bad. Um, and the Israelites have continued sinning. Now, the way 
this passage opens is a way that opens um, a lot of passages in, in Judges and in the subsequent histories of the kings. And the people of Israel did, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, here's this contrast once again. A couple of times we read in Judges, and there was no king in Israel in those days. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But in doing what's right in our own eyes, we have that lead weight of sin that's governing our affections, governing our choices. And uh, often we will choose what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, this is a problem coming up with Samson as a, as a young man. Uh, he has a strong preference for Philistine girls because they are pleasing where in his eyes. And so that is going to cause significant trouble for him down the road. Now, in this passage, as we uh, see the beginnings of Samson, we see the uh, Manoah and his wife being set aside to be the parents of Samson. If we read this passage and didn't know the rest of the story, we'd be tempted to cheer that finally, We've got the right guy. Finally, we've got the man who's going to do it right, judge right. I mean, look at how this guy starts off. Uh, how, what, what more could be done to, uh, to bring us a judge who will be raised by, as far as we can see in the scriptures here, godly parents uh, who are uh, desirous of obeying the word of the Lord. He's got a great, uh, you could say, Christian home uh, to grow up in. And he's going to be a man of exceptional strength. The Spirit of God is moving him. And so we would think that, you know, finally this is the guy that's going to rescue Israel and set things right. But as you see from the sermon title and as you know from, uh, from Samson's life, he's almost a savior. Not quite, but, but almost a savior. And so he falls short like the rest of us and like any other human being we would esteem uh, more highly than we should. Now, Manoah is a Danite, and this will be, uh, the, the tribe of Dan will appear a little bit later in the book of Judges when they become essentially a roving gang of idolatrous thugs. They, they get their way by theft, by intimidation, and they have uh, wholeheartedly adopted idolatry. And uh, Judges leaves us a little detail that um, they remain that way until they're deported uh, by, the, uh, by the Assyrians in um, 722 BC. So, the, uh, however, amongst the Danites, we do have... Uh, as far as we can tell, at least one who has reverence for the Lord. Now, the issue with him, and uh, a, a very sore issue uh, in Scripture, is to be childless. And uh, one of the th this is sometimes seen as a curse because your the, your your name is remembered to future generations through your through your children, as we saw in the uh, emphasis of the genealogies in this morning sermon. And so to have no children is to have no legacy. It's to have no heritage. It's to uh, be worse than death. It's to be, uh, to be drawn into oblivion and to be forgotten. And so this, child, this childlessness is, is a big deal in Scripture. And so Manoah's wife is visited by an angel. And this is a, uh, 
an episode that uh, we'll see again um, further on in Scripture. And she's told she will have a child who is a Nazarite. Now, the Nazarite vow is all outlined for you in chapter 6, and it is a usually a temporary vow. And there are three conditions, and that is no wine, no haircut, no contact with dead things. And so these are the, and, and there's even a condition in Numbers chapter 6 of what to do if you accidentally touch a dead thing. You, you essentially have to start your vow over again. And so the, uh, uh, the vow is, is temporary and there's a ceremony held at the end of that vow, at the completion of that vow. But Samson was to be a Nazarite his entire life. And so emphatic was his Nazarite status that when his mom was pregnant with him, she was to refrain from any kind of wine or strong drink so that not even in his prenatal development would he be exposed to uh, wine or strong drink. And so this is a little similar to the visitation of the angel to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 verse 15 when he's told you are going to have a son in your old age and uh, his name will be John and he will not drink wine or strong drink. And so the conditions laid on John the Baptist are similar to those that are being laid on Samson even before birth. So Samson is set aside as uh, Jeremiah was set aside, as John was set aside, as Jesus was set aside, but even further back, actually to all eternity in Jesus' case. And uh, the, the thing here that we're told is that Samson will begin to save Israel. And there, as we know later down the road, he does a very imperfect job of it, but God still uses him. And so what happens is uh, when Manoah's wife is visited, she reports to Manoah what happened. And this is interesting. I almost believe that this is an indication they'd been married for a while. Why? Because he believes her on the first report. And uh, so I, I think after a while, he's learned that Mrs. Manoa is usually right. And um, so he's probably had an embarrassing episode or two in the past that uh, uh, he's learned, okay, when my wife says that she's had a supernatural visit, it happened. And so um, she reports to him that uh, this man of God came to me uh, he had an awesome appearance, and uh, I didn't know or ask his name. And then she recounts what the angel said. You're going to have a child. He's going to be a Nazarite, and uh, that you are to drink uh, nothing, uh, no, no wine, no, no strong drink, eat nothing unclean. And so Manoah then prays, and this is uh, a really... I think, a very promising prayer for an up-and-coming dad. Uh, how is this child to be raised? Lord, give me direction in how to raise my son for your glory. And so that is a, uh, a lesson in itself. Now, this direction has already been given us in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this is where uh, Moses is directing the Israelites that you will speak of the Lord uh, when you 
when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk in the way. In other words, throughout the day, you are to be referencing and remembering and talking about the Lord Jesus, or in this case, um, before, before we knew Jesus by name, uh, the Lord God and what he had done for Israel. And so it's important uh, for anyone who is a parent or going to be a parent, uh, that this be real to you and to me, that this be a genuine thing with us so that we have something to pass on. Uh, I remember we had a, uh, a we, we found a really good children's Bible and we would take our, our children through that and then we would reenact the Bible story we just read with stuffed animals and uh, that, that was kind of fun. And we were going over King Saul and so I, I told my oldest son at the time, four or five, um, that uh, Saul was not fully committed to the Lord. And I said, see, God's concerned. And I leaned forward and tapped him on the chest for emphasis. I said, see, God's concerned with what's in your heart. And then he leaned forward and said, Daddy, what's in your heart? Well, thankfully, there's the fifth commandment and the fifth amendment. And I refuse to incriminate myself. And... Uh, but that that was uh, that from from the mouths of of children. Um, I was pretty strongly rebuked. It, it, we we really do need to be genuine in our faith, so that we have a genuine testimony. And even if we don't have children, we've got to be genuine in the faith, so we have a genuine testimony to pass on to others. And so this is Manoah's prayer. So this is another good beginning. And uh, as he prays, the angel does appear again to them and pretty much repeats uh, what he had already said. And so, uh, and, and the directions are the same as, as what the angel had said um, on, on the first visit. But who is this angel? And he is identified in this passage as the angel of the Lord. And so there's a question, is this angel a messenger of the Lord or is this angel a manifestation of the Lord? And as we read back in Judges chapter 2 and picking up in verse 1, we have this. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. And so it's pretty clear, at least from Judges 2, that that angel of the Lord is no mere messenger. This is, in fact, the Lord. And so the angel refuses to eat when Manoah says, well, listen, um, let me, you stay here. I'm going to go get a goat and, and, and I'll be right back. And um, the angel says, well, I'm not going to eat of your food. But if you're going to sacrifice, sacrifice to the Lord. And this is where commentators divide a little bit. Uh, is this a Revelation 22 moment or is this a Matthew 19 moment? Okay, well, Revelation 22 verses 8 and 9, John, in the midst of this glorious revelation that he's receiving, is so overwhelmed by the presence of an angel that he falls down to worship. And the angel tells him, don't you dare worship me. I am your fellow servant. Uh, so is that what this angel is saying? Don't, don't sacrifice to me, sacrifice to the Lord. 
Or is it a Matthew 19 moment? In Matthew 19, 17, Jesus is referred to as good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Well, as we know from the scriptures, we know Jesus is, in fact, the second person of the Trinity in human flesh. He is God. And so, what is the angel saying here? Is he saying, I'm your fellow servant, worship God? Or is he saying in a roundabout way that uh, I am God? Now, we do have this. At the beginning of this interaction, Manoah does not know the, uh, that the angel is the angel of the Lord. He, he still sees him as someone of an awesome appearance, but doesn't quite yet fully grasp who he is. That, that changes in a moment. Another interesting thing is Manoah wants to know the angel's name so that he can honor him. Now, we are in the era of the judges. Uh, Theological understanding is a little weak, to say the least. And so there may be, I don't want to be too hard on Manoah, but there may be a little superstition uh, mixed up in this. I remember... um, Uh, Jeff telling us one time of a conversation he had with Jean-Paul and and that uh, as you drive through Haiti there are a number of cars that will have Jesus' name on it and so uh, Jeff, our former pastor, said something like, well, that, that's, that's reassuring, uh, you know, the, these people are recognizing the name of Jesus and John Paul said, no, they simply put the name of Jesus there as a good luck charm and uh, that, that's all it means to them. It's supposed to bring them good luck, good fortune, protection. They're using the name of Jesus superstitiously. And so is this how Manoah might have used the name of Jesus or the, the name of the angel? Uh, it's hard to say, but the answer that the angel gives is very interesting because uh, it's, it's a little reminiscent of Genesis 32 when Jacob wrestles with the angel and the angel uh, changes Jacob's name to Israel. And then Jacob says, well, what's your name? And the angel says, why are you asking? And that's, that's the only answer he gets. And so in this one, the angel here gives a very similar answer to the angel in Genesis 32. And it is, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, that might bring to mind Isaiah 9, 6, that his name shall be called Wonderful. And I cannot recite that verse without hearing Handel's version of it in my head. So I keep saying, call it Wonderful, a counselor, uh, and, and so on. Um, it is essentially the same word. Uh, in, um, in this uh, narrative, it is the adjective form of the word. And in Isaiah, it is the noun form of the word, but it is the same root word. So I am kind of leaning in the direction that uh, this, this angel is, is in fact a, a Christophany, a, an appearance of the Lord Jesus. And uh, as Manoah sacrifices to the angel or to the Lord, The angel goes up in the flames of the sacrifice, linking this being to sacrifice. And of course, who is that eternal sacrifice? The one who is able to perfectly uh, finish the sacrifice for you and for me. And so, um, Manoah realizes that this was the angel of the Lord and he panics. And um, I, I think... 
you and I have maybe been in this situation where um, perhaps uh, when, when one spouse panics, the other one's saying, no, wait, wait, hang on, it's, it's not, not quite what you're thinking here. And uh, sometimes there's role reversals with that. But in this case, it's Manoah who is just panic-stricken. Um, and this may be reflecting a superstitious belief that if there's some divine manifestation of God, it means suddenly your life is at an end, you know. And uh, it's Mrs. Manoah who's saying, no, wait a minute, honey, he accepted our sacrifice, okay? He wouldn't have done that if he meant to kill us. And he wouldn't have prophesied these these wonderful things to us. And, um, and so uh, that hopefully calms Manoah down a little bit. But if this is an appearance of the Lord Jesus, you see something of a contrast here between Samson, the imperfect Savior, and Jesus, an appearance of the future and perfect Savior, put in contrast with each other. Now, Samson is going to grow and he is going to um, increase in strength. And uh, we read about his birth in the, in the last two verses that um, Samson, uh, his name comes from the Hebrew word Shemesh, which is a word for the sun in the sky. And so it's possible that uh, for someone, uh, for parents who are childless, this is perhaps something like the sun coming out and that's generally associated with hope and a new beginning. It may also be a picture of Samson's strength. We read in Psalm 19 verses 4 and 5 that the son is compared to a bridegroom emerging from his chamber, rejoicing in his strength, ready to run a race. So perhaps Samson is being uh, compared to, uh, to the son in, in that way. But we do have this, that as he grows up, at the very end of this passage, the Spirit of the Lord does begin to stir him. And we've seen this before. It will happen, uh, or, or we could say we've seen this later, if that makes sense, with uh, King Saul is also stirred by the Spirit. And um, other judges, uh, the Spirit of God comes upon them and then they do something extraordinary. And so these stirrings begin to happen to Samson, and we're given a geographical detail between Zorah and Eshtaol in Mahanadan, in the camp of Dan. And so the, uh, the location of the Danite tribe between Zorah and Eshtaol. Now, those two cities will be referred to again, and it's at it's Zorah and Eshtaol where Samson will be brought back and buried. And so this is the beginning of his ministry, which begins with all the indications of a successful ministry of a, uh, of a, of a boy born to godly parents, imperfect parents, of course, but, uh, but ones who are determined to honor the Lord in his upbringing. And uh, yet he will return um, Having died, in large part because of his disobedience, he will have spent the last few years of his life blind because of his disobedience, and um, he will not live to be the judge he could have been. In other words, uh, it, it is interesting, the Lord still 
still got out of Samson what he had raised him up for, just like the Lord got out of Jonah what he had raised up Jonah for. But wouldn't it have been so much better for Samson and Jonah if they had gone obediently and done the the will of God cheerfully? And so we can understand when we know Jonah's situation and the people to whom he was sent, why he didn't want to go, why he was angry. God did not judge these uh, these people, uh, the very capital city of the Assyrian Empire. But uh, he was still raised up of God to go, and he suffered for his disobedience. And Samson was raised up of God to punish the Philistines, but he suffered because of his disobedience. So God will get his way with us. It's certainly better if we go obediently. We see in this passage that Samson was born to a barren woman And this circumstance has a principle in it that God is the God of resources, that we are not to look at what we have and think, okay, God is limited to this. This is all he can do. But this is the God who takes a loaf and a couple of fishes and feeds 4,000, feeds 5,000, and has leftover. Uh, This is God who more than once has taken barren women and given them children and raised them up for extraordinary purposes. And we can learn from this that it is God who makes a way when there is no way, at least no way visible to us. This is the God who parts the Red Sea. And I think uh, if we were to think of different experiences in our lives, we we could think of a time when God provided from a a quarter or from a a circumstance where uh, the deliverance was unseen and and, uh, unexpected. And and suddenly there it is. And we can only say, praise God. Samson, Samson's parents were devoted to raising him in the right way, but Samson casts off godliness. Instead of being thankful for the gifts and the abilities God gave him, Samson became proud. And does that remind you of a particular angel who was made beautiful and became proud of how he was and and what he was, and that led to his being cast out of heaven. Samson, at least for certain, violates two of the three conditions of the vow. We know that he touches dead things. We know that he... um, does uh, he is eventually manipulated into getting his head shaved, and that has a, a very, very bad end for him. Uh, whether he drank strong wine uh, is not specifically stated, but he does. Uh, one of the first problems he has, because he can't say no to a Philistine woman, is um, he has a wedding feast for his first wife. And this, this ends disastrously. But the, uh, at the wedding feast, it's hard to imagine Philistines partying without wine. So did, uh, did uh, Samson violate even that aspect of his vow? It, it's possible, but he certainly, certainly violated the other two. Uh, Samson is our almost savior. Jesus is the savior. And Samson was a temporal savior, and he only provided temporal salvation. The Philistines were definitely set back 
by the punishment he visited upon them. But the uh, Philistines are going to be around for a while. The, it's going to be, uh, it's going to, they're going to be there until the end of the reign of King David. And it is uh, David who is pretty well going to uh, be the one to um, push the Philistines into the far reaches of, of ancient history. You won't hear much about them after David. And then uh, we see in this that Samson was uh, one who brought temporal salvation against an enemy of flesh and blood. And that was the best he could do. That was all he was capable of. And this is sometimes what Jesus' disciples were anxious he would do, that he would be uh, an Old Testament-like judge who would cast out the Romans and set up Israel as a powerful nation. And yet that was such a short-sighted view of what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free from our sin. He came to set up an eternal kingdom. And uh, one into which we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And something with eternal joy, eternal perfection, one where the enemy will be eternally defeated. And so this is what Jesus came to do. And as we look at Samson's life, we see that he was in need of a savior also, just like you and I are. And so there was, uh, again, as, as we looked at chapter 13, we might have thought, yay, this is our man. There is this tendency among people to put too much hope in a man. I have um, friends on my social media that are from all across uh, the political spectrum. And um, when there's a presidential election, I learned from some of my friends that the Messiah has returned and now we have the right guy who's going to make everything perfect and lead us into a blissful uh, existence, at least for four more years. Uh, then I learned from my other friends that the uh, Antichrist has been revealed and that uh, we are in the last days. And um, so, and this time we got it right. I've used my secret decoder ring in the book of Revelation. I figured it out. And uh, so now I know. And so this is... Um, Either way, positively or negatively, that is putting way too much into an ordinary human being who will temporarily occupy an office and be replaced later. And so, uh, you know, that, I mean, we, we do need to be intelligent as we have the privilege of participating in our government and choosing our leaders. And um, if I may say so, please vote intelligently rather than tribally. And um, uh, enough said there. I better, I better stick with the scriptures here. Uh, but... Uh, and I think that is sticking with the scriptures to, to, vote, to vote wisely because you and I have that privilege that so few people in, in the world today and in all of human history have ever had. But, um, but our ultimate hope is not in our government. Our ultimate hope is not in the right guy uh, coming in and setting everything right. So uh, this is what... Uh, Samson is not the only almost savior in the book of Judges. Really, all of them are. And uh, even the best of kings are almost kings, almost saviors. And so Jesus is the eternal savior. Yes, Samson was set aside before birth. We're told in Revelation 13, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, before creation. The eternal Son of God had already been set aside as a sacrifice for your sin and mine. 
In Matthew 21, Joseph is instructed, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not start to, but will. And in John 19.30, we have that blessed saying of Jesus on the cross, it is finished, it is paid in full, it is over. This is the last and the perfect sacrifice. And so, again, Jesus is the only one who could ever take the blame for everything you and I did wrong and give us credit for everything he did right and make us acceptable before God the Father. So, what's our response as we go from an almost Savior to the perfect Savior? Well, we'll finish in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, a very well-known passage of Scripture. And uh, I think we have in Samson the example of what not to do with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And uh, from that Scripture passage itself, what to do. And so we read, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those saints of chapter 11 who can witness to us, testify to us about God's faithfulness in their lifetime, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, or the King James, which so easily besets us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, not our latest favorite candidate for whatever, uh, not our favorite celebrity. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, holding the shame of the cross as of no account, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Samson chose to cast off godliness let it be with you and I that with you and me that we cast off sin and embrace godliness and grow in godliness. Please pray with me. Lord, help these words to to sink in. The examples of scripture, good and bad, but always honest, be our guide and our direction. Teach us what it is to cast off sin, not to repeat the errors of those who blundered, but to follow the most worthy and perfect example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray you'd help us and enable us by your spirit to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.